Yeah, we're just going to go ahead and jump into the Word of God. Um, they're like, are you sure? I'm like, yeah, I need more time. Um, so we'll get out of here sometime today. And we're jumping in this week and next week. I'm doing two weeks on Esther and Mordecai. One of the coolest stories out there, Esther and Mordecai. If you don't know it well, and I actually was looking back. It's been seven years or so since I preached Esther and Mordecai, I think, at least five or six. And I'm looking at it, and one of the mistakes I made last time trying to preach Esther and Mordecai is I, th- I think I tried to preach it in one week. You can't preach Esther and Mordecai in one week. I learned my lesson, so we're going to do it in two weeks. We're going to jump in. It's ten chapters. I'm going to give you an overview today and do the first four chapters, and then we're going to hit five through ten next week. So yes, I'm going to give you part of the story today, and I'm going to leave just a giant cliffhanger out there for you. But that just means you have to come back next week to hear more of what's taking place, more of what's unfolding before us. Here's what Esther and Mordecai is really known for. It's part of the Word of God. It says, for such a time as this, right? So everybody say, for such a time as this. One more time. That needs to get in you. That needs to get in for such a time as this. One last time. You're going to have to walk out with that today because you're going to have to ask some big questions that come from understanding what that really means for us as believers. But before I even do that, I want to give you some background. I'm going to spend the next seven or eight minutes giving you some backdrop of the storyline here that's unfolding. We're trying to do that. Pastor Jim did that some last week with Gideon. The week before that, I was attempting to do that as we unfolded the story of Elijah. Today, it's looking at Esther, and next week, Esther and Mordecai. So 722, 721, which over the course, really 722, but Belen in 721, the northern kingdom... These are really good notes for you right now, by the way. So just I'm letting you know because we know, right, if you write something down, you're four times more likely to remember it. And what I'm astonished is how, how few people actually know in general, just broadly speaking, the history of the Word of God. And if you care about the Word of God, you need to know this. All right? So what's happening is the northern kingdom fell into the hands of Assyria, 722, 721. It's, uh, it's Babylonian exile. That's important because they were conquered and they were defeated. Um, Think about this. Um, King of Babylon, you ever heard of the name Nebuchadnezzar? All right. So there's Nebuchadnezzar. Um, That's when the southern kingdom fell to Nebuchadnezzar in 606. So just over 100 years later, they fell to the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Um, After defeats, after deportations, all these kinds of things, in 536 B.C., you have Cyrus who finally, after almost 200 years, he started allowing the Jews who had been sent into exile to return to Jerusalem. So 722, 721 B.C., now all of a sudden, roughly 100 years later, a little more than that, you had the other parts of the kingdom also falling there in exile. And now roughly 100 years later, I'm speaking very broadly here, don't come correct me, I can give you all the specific dates. About 100 years later, what ends up unfolding and happening then is Cyrus ends up saying, you know what, some of you Jews in exile, if you want to start returning home, you can and so some of them returned home, and some did not. And they start, uh, some of them stayed where they had been exiled to. They had been there for gen- a co- a f- several generations by now. And so instead of going home, um, several of them ended up staying in places like Susa, which is Esther and Mordecai. They were Jewish, right? 
Mordecai is the uncle of Esther, and they're Jewish, and here they are. They decided to stay there. We know in, in this book also, Persia, the Persian Empire was very important. Um, it had what we would consider to be from 539 B.C. to 331 B.C., what we would call world domination. I'm going to show you a map um, as we look at these individuals. So everything that you see on this map with names all over it, basically with the, within the red line, was the Persian Empire. It was massive. It was absolutely huge. A hundred, and the word of God, right in the, in the very beginning of Esther, chapter one, verse two, I think it is, it tells us there's 127 provinces. So here's Susa all the way down, just to the right of where it says Babylonia, right? Right over there above the Persian Gulf somewhat. And that's where Esther and Mordecai are. These are where people who had been sent from Jerusalem from Israel. If I jump over here, you see Jerusalem over by the Mediterranean Sea. This is Israel right here. Hopefully you know the shape of that. So here they are, and they've got the northern and the southern kingdom, and these people had this, have been dispersed all throughout. And now Cyrus and others are saying, hey, you can go home if you want to. Some of them chose not to. So from 485 to 465 B.C., you have a king here, Xerxes, who's the king during this time period, who's going to have some domination, and he's going to be doing his thing. To give you perspective, 20 years after this story is when Nehemiah, roughly 20 years after this story is when Nehemiah, remember, he was called by God to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall. Say wall. Now you feel small, smart, right? So remember the story of Nehemiah, like Nehemiah goes back, God says, go rebuild the wall. This is about 20 years after Esther and Mordecai. Everybody's following me, right? You could all go regurgitate this to all your friends and neighbors, yes? Great. All right. One of you. So Jerusalem's here. Here's, here's Israel. They're way over here. That's what's unfolding. That, that's where we are in this. And they had this world domination. Now, this happened, again, Esther and Mordecai, during the time of King Xerxes, 485 to 465 B.C. This guy ends up in 465 being assassinated, just so you understand that. Now, let me give you the characters in this, Bible, in this story. Ten chapters, Esther, book of Esther. Um, not sure who the author is, but here it comes down. You have really four. You have Esther, Mordecai, Xerxes, and Haman. Now, here's Esther. Esther was an orphan. Her or, uh, uncle was Mordecai. We see that, chapter 2, verse 7. She's this beautiful lady who retain, obtained favor from the Lord. Um, it talks about this favor that she received in Esther, chapter 2, verse 15. And so here she is receiving this favor from God. Here's the thing with Esther. Esther always put obedience over power. Now, if you would write that down, obedience over power, because this is an interesting conundrum that we can find ourselves in. Because we start to mix the two up and we go, well, we start to change what it means to be obedient if we think we could obtain authority or power. You have Mordecai. He's from the tribe of Benjamin. If you remember from a couple of weeks ago, I preached about Elijah, of course. So, and I'm talking about, you remember when uh, Elijah took the 12 stones and put it around the sacrifice, the altar that he was going to burn up the, ca uh, the calf with? You remember this? Just say yes. Make me feel good. Thank you. He had 12 stones representing the 12 tribes. The tribe of Benjamin is one of those. Mordecai is from that tribe of Benjamin. All right? So, 
This is a guy, he's Jewish, but he ends up saving the king's life because he was outside the king's gate. He heard these whispers about an assassination plot against the king. He makes this known later on. You're going to hear about that. And as a result, the king is like, oh, yeah, that's awesome. Thanks so much. All right. Mordecai was faithful in making sure he put convictions over convenience. This is the other thing. Mordecai put religious convictions, or you can even take the word religious off if you want to, but he put conviction over convenience. And as a result, we see a movement of God. Now, does anybody here, would you say, man, you know what? I want to I experience a movement of God in a way that I've never experienced one before. I want God to work in my life and to do radical things. And I want to have fulfillment and freedom in Christ. And I want to see Jesus just be spread throughout the nations. Anybody in for that? Yeah? Here's the thing. Every movement of God in the beginning, stage, in the beginning stages involves conviction. And that's when the majority of people don't ever step into a movement of God individually or even with the church because conviction is hard for us to swallow. Conviction is God saying, you're doing things I don't want you to do, and so we have to live differently, and we don't want to live any differently. But Mordecai is a reminder of, man, you've got to put your convictions over your convenience, and you've got to make sure that you're stepping into a movement of God and what he is wanting to accomplish in your life. But this is one of the homework assignments I would have for you is what are the three biggest convictions that you have in life? Because every single time in the word of God, when we see God using someone to do something amazing that we're still talking about today, it's because they had a conviction that God had given to them and they're living that conviction out. It's not that they just had a conviction. They're now living that conviction out. So what are the three biggest convictions that you're living by? What is that for you? You've got to know. Waking up every day and doing the same thing, making sure you get what you want and you live out your dreams. Friends, get ready for this. Your dreams don't matter. God working in your life is what matters. Just seeing if anybody's going to leave. When you say yes to Jesus Christ through baptism, that's what baptism is. You're going, I give full authority to Jesus Christ in my life. And so as a result of that, my dreams, my preferences, my opinions actually don't matter. Whatever God's will is, I'm in. So here's Mordecai reminding us, put your convictions over your convenience. So go write down your three key convictions that you're living by. The reason that so many people today are living by convenience is we don't even know what our convictions are. It's real hard to stand firm in your convictions if you don't know what your convictions are. So Esther, Mordecai, Xerxes, that's the third of the fourth primary characters here. Xerxes is king of Persia at the time. I already told you ruled 485, 465 before he was assassinated later on. He was a crazy guy. He, what you're going to hear today, he drank a lot. He just drank a lot. Um, and he made some really poor, bad decisions based on when he was drunk. Can I just encourage you, one, not to get drunk? Can we hear an amen? Can I also encourage you not to make decisions when you are drunk? Can I hear a hallelujah? You're going to see a lot of that today. 
Then you have the fourth person, Haman. Haman was second in charge. He was high official under King Xerxes. And he, you just, this is what you need to know about him right now. He absolutely hated Mordecai. I mean, despised him. So those are the people who are at play here. Now, I'm going to go ahead and walk through these four chapters. I'm not going to read a whole lot out to you. I'm going to tell you the background uh, and the story as it unfolds. Xerxes is married to Queen Vashti. V-A-S, all right? V-A-S, Vashti. But because here they are married, the king is going to have a couple of huge banquets, huge parties. Um, they're going to take 187 days up total, uh, total. Well, what does he do at the party? He gets drunk. I told you there's going to be a lot of this. And so he tells his queen, hey, I want you to go show off your beauty. Well, she's like, no way. Like, I cannot imagine. If I looked at my wife and said, hey, honey, go walk around and show everybody how beautiful you are. Um, she would put me in a sleeper hold, something. <laughs> right? Well, she said, the queen said, no way. Not going to do it. Well, that ticked him off, and he's king. So through his drunkenness, he came up with this, some other rules, how all these men are going to rule over in a different way and ends up making her no longer the queen. And so what he ends up wanting to do is like, you know what I'm going to do? I need to find a new queen. And so he has all the beautiful young women who are virgins brought before him. One of those women was Esther. Now, Esther was Jewish, but Esther, you're going to find out, hides her identity as a Jewish woman. She's been there for a while, but there they are in Susa. I already showed you right by the Persian Gulf. And so she's hiding her identity as a Jew. And she comes before this beauty pageant and she was beautiful and she ends up being chosen by King Xerxes and he ends up being pretty much infatuated with her and makes her queen. Wow. It was during this time in chapter 2 when I told you about Mordecai who had heard about an assassination plot at the king's gate. Well, we find that in Esther chapter 2 after all these other events that I just told you about. Mordecai discovers a plot, 19 through 23. We see, hey, all these people are gathering together, these virgins, everything else. Esther, Esther um, ends up hearing about this assassination plot from Mordecai, tells everybody, uh, the king about it. Um, and in verse 23, when the affair was investigated and found to be so, the men were both hanged on the gallows. So some of the king's men were going to assassinate them. They found out this was true. This came from Mordecai through Esther to the king. And so the king kills those individuals. Chapter 3. I know you're following along very well right now. Chapter 3 gets into more about Haman. So... Esther has, um, has become queen under King Xerxes, reveals to the king this plot to kill the king from Mordecai that he had overheard. This is important. At the very end, before you get into chapter 3, the very end of chapter 2, the last verse, it says, And this was recorded in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king about the assassination and about what Mordecai had done. Why? Because I will, even though I'm to give you a cliffhanger today, I will give you a little bit of a snippet. Later on, the king is drunk, right? Go figure. And he couldn't sleep one night, so he tells his officials to read the history of everything to him to help him go to sleep, right? Part of that reminded him of what Mordecai had done, and he had never rewarded Mordecai for doing it. That's important. You're going you're to tuck that away for next week. 
Then you jump into chapter 3. Haman is here, high official under Xerxes, who became with anguish, angry with Mordecai, who is the uncle of Esther. Why? Because it tells us in chapter 3, verse 2, and all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman. Haman wanted everybody to bow before him no matter what. And Mordecai, because of his convictions, said no way. Not going to do it. Now, this is where I want, to, I want us to, 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 to stay for a little bit because I think we need to examine some things. I told you, Mordecai was an individual who knew his convictions, and so he would not live by convenience. And what we, what we are seeing today, people living by convenience because they don't know what their convictions are. And we're surrendering and giving in to a society around us because we don't know what our convictions are. And so we're surrendering to convenience. And so when somebody comes and says, hey, you need to do this, or no, no, you need to live with each other even though you're not married, or who cares about sex outside of marriage, or who cares about all these different things, right? Well, you look at issues of morality, and by the way, you cannot define morality outside of Jesus. Otherwise, it's just everybody's opinion, no matter what, and nobody's ever wrong. And you fall into a culture of just debauchery and sin and everything else. We're there. But people who claim to know God are currently bowing before people and individuals that they shouldn't be bowing to out of convenience because they've never learned what it is to stand on conviction. So what, ha what conveniences have you bowed to rather than standing on conviction? This will preach, right? Things just got real. As, you, as, a, as a friend, as a student, as a parent, what convictions have you sacrificed in order to bow before the conveniences of a society so that you don't have any pressure put on yourself? Because here's the highest official in the land outside of the king who's upset, Esther chapter 3, verse 2, upset with Mordecai, who's a Jewish guy. You know, man, Haman's like, of all people, could he not have returned home 50 years ago? Why is this one of the Jewish guys who had to stay? And he won't bow before him because he's not going to give him the convenience because he knows what his convictions are. We need to know our convictions in the word of God. And if you don't know the word of God, you can't stand by the word of God. So here's his plan. You're talking about overreaction. This is how upset Haman got at Mordecai. He, his plan, fine. There's a Jewish man who won't bow before me. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to the king and we're going to exterminate all the Jews. Now, I would classify that as an overreaction. Right? What's at play though? Pride. You know he's a prideful man. Listen, if you've got somebody who overreacts to situations, pride and anger are at play. If you're a parent... Whoever reacts to things, pride and arrogance are at play. Right? If you have a boss who's overreacting to things, right? It's the same kind of thing. Well, here's a guy. He's so upset. He's like, his plan, exterminate all the Jews in Persia. 
So he goes to the king, and they make a plan to do it 11 months later, and they celebrate by drinking and getting drunk. <laughs> Told you a lot of drunkenness, a lot of drinking. So they know that this is going to happen 11 months later. And it says in the last verse of chapter 3, the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Susa was thrown into confusion. They're like, what's going on? Like, wait a second. They just decided to do what because of one guy? What's going on? 11 months from now, every Jew in Persia, I already showed you the expanse of Persia is now going to be killed. What? So then we come to chapter 4. When Mordecai learned all that he had done, he heard news of this. Right? Uh, actually, before I even go there, let me help you out with something. Mordecai and Esther, probably didn't, they didn't talk a lot. Esther was now queen. Yeah, Mordecai helped raise Esther, but they, because uncle, being uncle, she was orphaned, right? But she was queen, but it also didn't mean that Esther had access to the king. No matter who you were, you'd have, you, had to be, you had to be granted permission to go before the king. Mordecai hears about what's going on, and he's a good Jewish guy, so he did what I, you've heard this before, but he did what all the good Jewish people would do. What did he do? Tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, went about the midst of the city, and he cried out with a loud and a bitter cry. He goes up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And so he goes right up to it. And in every province, wherever I told you, 100, 127 provinces. So I said that early, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 2. That's just know how many provinces. So in all these provinces, now all the Jewish people are going up, and they're ripping their clothes, and they're tearing them off, putting them on sackcloth, ashes. And you're going, isn't that overkill? No, because what they just found out, in 11 months, all the Jewish people would be killed, annihilated. And so there was fasting, there was mourning among the Jews, fasting and weeping and lamenting, and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. Esther chapter 4, verse 3. So they're, they're trying to figure out, what do we do here? So at first, they're thinking, Esther's got to go talk to the king, but... Esther lets him know, listen, like sends message to Esther, you got to go talk to the king. Esther finds out about this and goes, what's going on? And so Esther's like, but I, I can't just go before the king. In fact, I haven't been summoned by the king for 30 days. And if I just show up, the response, unless, he's, unless the king is in just in a really good mood, he'll kill anybody who comes into his presence without permission. It doesn't matter who it is. So here's it. Here's Esther going, the king hasn't summoned me for 30 days. This is not good. So Mordecai is then convinced, what we see in chapter 4, Mordecai is convinced that God's going to do it in a different way. I love how God works in mysterious ways. You know, one of the reasons I love that God works in mysterious ways is because then we can never claim the glory for ourselves. Because we're just not that bright, guys. Right? Most of us just press repeat on our day every day. And here's God. He's going to do something great. So Mordecai lets her know that maybe she's queen, though, for this very reason. And so she was going to have a choice to make. 
Would she live by the convictions of God? Let me remind you, friends, faithfulness to God will almost always put you in conflict with the world. Living by conviction will always put you at odds with convenience. I'm just trying to let you know how it is. I'll give you a couple of quick verses to go with that. John 15, 19, if, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. That's why I tell, when I do classes and seminars on leadership, I tell people, man, leadership, one of the key rules of leadership, leaders take kidney shots. This is what you do. You just take kidney shots. You just keep going. I think Esther and Mordecai knew what it was to take kidney shots, to live by conviction. And Mar- Mordecai, I was con- I'm convinced, knew that not honoring Haman would cost him something. But I, I think it's very unlikely that it, he thought it would cost him something so great. All the Jews, their lives. So this is what unfolds. End of chapter 4. Esther had heard about all these things. Knew that she had not been summoned for 30 days. And then in verse 12 and following. They told Mordecai what Esther had said about not being summoned for 30 days. She would likely lose her life. Mordecai told them to reply to Esther. Remember, she's queen. They didn't have direct access, so they're sending people back and forth here. Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not think, listen to these words, verse 13 and 14, do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. It is this rally cry of sorts where Mordecai is letting her know, listen, even if you choose to remain silent, God's going to do God no matter what. Don't think too highly of yourself, but know that God might have put you into this position that you're in right now. And yes, I'm speaking to you. For this very reason. So know this. Be humble enough to know that God's going to do God no matter what. But if you remain silent, relief and deliverance, God's just going to use someone else. Silence is concurring with. That which you remain silent to, you will end up in time concurring with. We say it all the time. And some of us are being called by God to live our, by our convictions, which means we need to start using our voice to express our allegiance to a God that may not be convenient, but he is eternal. And the majority of people today who claim faith in Jesus Christ will not utter their allegiance to Jesus Christ. We already know this. We already know that well over 90%, and I'm being gracious, some say 97, 90, over 90% of people who claim to know Jesus actually will never share their faith. Might invite somebody to worship on the lawn, but they'll never share their faith because they won't live by convenience and they would let, rather bow to convenience. They, they want to bow to convenience rather than live by conviction. Like we know this. Here's a story of it right here. Do not think that because you're in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. You can remain silent. Relief will just come from somewhere else because God's going to do God. Amen. 
You have to choose whether or not you want to be obedient to the conviction that God has placed on your heart, no matter what it costs you. And one of the primary reasons many of us are not willing for it to cost us anything is because we're not sure the convictions to begin with. We have to choose to use the voice that God has given to speak truth. Silence is concurring with. And so they say, for such a time as this. Everybody say that again. For such a time as this. One more time. For such a time as this. What is the time for you to step into? What is it time for you to step into based on the convictions of God in your life? Maybe for some of you, it's finally to go talk to that neighbor. It's been 12 years. You've been neighbors for 12 years. And you've been waiting for them to knock on your door. They haven't knocked on your door yet. And so you're going to walk over and you're going, how, how, how do I even start that conversation? Um, chocolate chip cookies helps. Right? But you just walk up and you go, you know what? I've been your neighbor for 12 years. And I want to know how I can pray for you. Because I know that the God I serve loves you. And if you ever want to know more about him, I'd love to tell you. That wasn't hard. You know, I'm going to start living by conviction and not convenience. Which that means I'm gonna stop having sex outside of marriage. I hear it all the time. Ah, like, oh, yeah, but blah 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 blah. I've already, you know. Listen, you can re, you can unfold your legacy and your your generation to come differently. Your kids are gonna ask you one day, well, "What'd you do?" You're gonna say, "You know what? We made mistakes, but then we corrected and we gave it before God, and we had a new story to tell." You know what? I, I had to stop cheating on my taxes and robbing from my company and telling them I'm working full-time when I'm not really working full-time just because I'm lazy. What is it time for you to step into? For some of you, I'm going to go ahead and ruin the, the, the plot for some, Pastor Nathan. Next, next year, 2023, spring break, I'm going to ask everybody, don't go on vacation. Go on mission with us. I want to see how many places we can send people on mission. It's far cooler to serve Jesus than just put your toes in the sand. You can go do that in Holland. It's cold sand, but you can go do that in Holland. We want you to live by conviction. As a church, we want to live by conviction. Even as the lead pastor of this church, I'm, I'm not here to make sure I get what I want. I am here to hear the word of God, to listen to his voice and do that. Preference, opinion, doesn't matter. That's the way it rolls. And trust me, I got a bunch of elders who remind me of that. For such a time as this, God wants to use your situation in his work. God desires to use your situation for his work. Are you letting him? How determined are you to let God have his way in your life? To live by conviction. Here's a response 
of Esther. And I, I just want to close with this. Esther chapter 4, 15 and 16. Let's throw this up there. It says, go gather all the Jews. This is Esther's response. Okay, fine. Here's what I'm going to do then. She knows she could lose her life. So she's just fine. Do me a favor. Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa. So go, here, that's where she's living. Go get every single Jewish person. This is how big this is. And I need them to start fasting and praying. Three days, three nights. Because the conviction is great. So I need them to do this. I, all my maids, we're all going to fast with you. Three days, three nights. We're going to call out to God. And when this is done, I'm going to go to the king, even if it's against the law. And if I perish, I, that's what conviction does. That's what it looks like to live by conviction, where you seek the voice of God three days, three days. God, I'm going to call out to you, and I'm seeking your favor. I'm seeking your direction. I'm seeking your will. I'm seeking your desire, and I'm calling out to you. And at the end of that, you go, you know what? I will live by conviction, and the result of that in this world doesn't matter to you because you already know the result for eternity, that you will be giving glory and honor to the one true king. We need more of that. Amen. So will you let it start with you? Will you let it start with you? Esther was more concerned about others than her own convenience, her own security. It's a good place to start, isn't it? If I perish, I perish. She was more concerned about doing the godly. And sometimes you have to do the godly until your heart catches up. What is the it is time for you? It is time, dot, dot, dot. It is time to answer it today. Some of you may need to fast for the next three days and just seek that answer. God, show me what it's time for me to do. Sometimes you may think it's something small. Sometimes you may think it's something big. All that matters is faithfulness. Will you be faithful to the it is time? Break the mold of the life you have been living. Break the mold of the life you have been living so that we can live a life for God. Lord, I come before you. I give you thanks and worship. And for some of these families, these couples, you're 
you've got something planned for them and they're scared to step into the ministry you've been calling them to. They don't know how they're going to make ends meet, but give them the courage. For others, you know that you're calling them to lead their business differently or their home differently or to look at education differently, a relationship that maybe someone is in differently, but give them the courage to break the mold. to live for you in a more radical way than ever before, to learn from Esther, to learn from Mordecai. May we as your church, the bride of Christ, break the mold. God, we fully surrender to you. We are no longer our own. You have all of us. In Christ's name, amen.